Welcome to Make It Simple, where we take complicated issues and, with the help of an expert, break them down into ideas we can understand, truths we can apply, and questions worth pondering. I'm your host, Matt Popovitz, and with me is my co-host, Rachel Ryder. Rachel, it's great to be back with you. We've got an important topic for us to cover today, right? Absolutely. I've really been looking forward to this one. Uh, We are meeting with Brian McKenna, and we're going to be talking all about dealing with anxiety and depression, which I just think um, when we talk about anything in the realm of anxiety, it's just such an important conversation. And I'm really glad I learned so much. It seems to be something that everybody's wrestling with. I mean, if you're Mm -hmm. not wrestling with anxiety, depression, or something on that spectrum personally, chances are, odds are, you know, some people, you have some people yeah. in life that you really care about who are. And and Brian's a great person to talk about this with. Uh, Brian McKenna helps individuals and families gain skills for life so that they can achieve a healthy level of functioning. They can attain some new hope and happiness in their lives. He has a collaborative approach, which involves other essential relationships and resources to optimize outcomes. Brian is a personal friend of mine, and I'm so glad that we can welcome him into the Make It Simple family. Rachel, what are you looking forward to uh, discussing about anxiety and depression with Brian? Well, as always, I want to know, I want to hear him talk about what do we mean when we talk about anxiety and depression, because, um, you know, I feel melancholy. I've felt depressed. I get anxious, but I see it. There are people in my life who I would are on a very difficult journey with these things. And so being able to tell the difference and know what are we really talking about? And then as always, just like, how do we help? How do I, as an individual, help somebody uh, dealing with these things? Yeah. And and just so you know, some of Brian's background, Brian's a licensed clinical social worker and and a Mm -hmm. certified advanced alcohol and drug counselor with an adolescent treatment endorsement for the state of Illinois and over 25 years in the field. So so he has all the credentials to back him up. He knows what he's talking about. He does. And then some. And and because he's he is such an expert on this topic and has so much experience walking with people through anxiety, depression, and so much more. You know, one of the things I want to talk with him about is how to recognize some of this in yourself and then, and then how to see it, recognize it in people that you care about. And then like, how do you know whether what you're dealing with is just, I guess you could say like an acceptable level of anxiety sure. and, and, and what's a, what's a, what's something that, that is uh, more clinical, something that, that a professional needs to speak into. That's what I'm looking forward to. Ra- Rachel, anything else that comes to mind for you? No, I just, I, I'm interested in hearing the practical stuff. What are some things a person can can do practically today to start moving along this journey and to deal with anxiety and depression? So that's what I'd yeah. like to hear. Yeah, that's a really good question. So like if you find yourself personally mm-hmm. wrestling with this, is there anything you could do right now to try and yeah. change the trajectory of your mental health and and, and go in a, in, in a better direction? Great, great question. All right, well, let's, let's not wait any longer. Let's dive into our conversation with Brian McKenna about dealing with anxiety and depression. Brian, welcome to Make It Simple. It's so great to chat with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to be here. My my goal is hopefully to share some different ways to look at anxiety, depression, and, and low motivation. So thanks for the opportunity, both uh, Matt. Yeah. Well, it's it's an important conversation. Um, but before we dive into dive into the, the bulk of the conversation, I want to give people a, a better picture of, of who you are and, and the work that you do. So tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, the work that you do in this field. Yeah, about 30 years ago, I got my master's in social work, and I've been working for the same not-for-profit organization for just about 30 years. 
um, in various different roles. In the beginning of my career, um, did a lot of counseling and uh, working with mental health, uh, anxiety, depression, substance abuse in particular, working a lot with families. And then the majority of the bulk of my career was actually getting into the executive side, the administration. It was the chief operating officer uh, for, for many years. Um, but then on the back end of my career, I said, what am I most passionate about? What do I really want to do? Which led me back to the front end of my career. And so back doing a, a lot of uh, just the counseling piece of this. And so do yeah. coaching, back to the clinical piece. And um, sometimes it's face-to-face and sometimes it's through telehealth now, which is really taken off and given more access to people as well. Uh, so my background is social work and just for a passion for really just helping people. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, I want to get into it because I think this is going to be a really great episode. Can you start just by telling us, like, what's the difference between anxiety, depression, and low motivation? Because I think a lot of people use the word anxious, like as a catch-all for everything, mm-hmm. um, when actually it might not be anxiety at all. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me give an overview. Um, there's a lot to it. And so this is just going to be kind of a brief, concise review, but I want to do it in a way that that's helpful. And so first Great. of all, anxiety and depression are really a cluster of symptoms. And, and they're really defined by what's called the DSM-5. Um, and so um, that is a diagnostic uh, statistical manual, which is where you get all the diagnosis from um, in the medical field. And so you can really look up and get more details uh, within that. But that's what the clinician does is use that as a guideline. Um, But for today, really just kind of want to explain that continuum. And because Mm -hmm. people can feel um, just a little bit of worry and and all the way up to to panic when it comes to anxiety. Some people can be depressed about their um, situation that they're going through or full-blown clinical depression as well. And so it is, it's important to kind of figure out. And so let me tell you a little bit about the differences. And and probably the best way to do this is have you picture a a Venn diagram. And so on one side of the circle, you have anxiety, let's say the right side. And so uh, some of the symptoms that go along with anxiety is feeling on edge, this nervousness that you're feeling um, doesn't have to be every minute of the day, but just overall persuasive nervousness and feeling edge. Um, racing heart is another one or muscle tension, um, excessive worrying to the point where then panicking. And so it can affect, you know, your thoughts. It can affect your breathing. Um, you can you have your legs feel shaky. You can feel numb. Um, you just feel overprepared for situations. And so that's some of, not all, but some of the anxiety symptoms that you would experience. Now, on the other end, which is unique to depression, depression is this idea of just feeling hopeless. Low mood is what it is. Um, for some levels of depression, there's all sorts of different kinds. Sometimes you may go up and down in terms of your, your mood. Um, but in general, it's, again, just kind of this empty feeling um, feeling numb as well on this side, but a different type of level and just a loss of interest in things, um, that you enjoy, um, just risky behavior, maybe sometimes that you're taking, not really kind of looking at the future as much in terms of that side of it as well. And just feeling worthless or meaningless in terms of, of that side. Now where it crosses over in, in the middle where both anxiety and depression are some of the things I mentioned, numbness is one of those. Irritability is another one. Um, Trouble concentrating would be one. Mm -hmm. Um, A level of distorted thinking would be one. Um, 
trouble sleeping goes on both sides of being anxious and depressed, changes in appetite, fatigue. So you can see how sometimes you can maybe um, miss, see which one it is. Is it anxiety, is it depression in terms of, of that piece of it as well? But it's really kind of sorting that through. Again, it's a continuum is what it is. But to really break it down, to kind of get to a deeper level here, what I would say is anxiety is more than worrying. It's, it's overthinking your worries. It's overestimating your dangers. It's underestimating your resources. Um, it, can, it can make you very hyper aware of your surroundings in, in a not so good way or helpful way. You're always on alert, so to speak. Um, people that are anxious, I hear them a lot of times say, I feel like I'm losing it or, or I feel like I might be going a little crazy here and just not feeling themselves in terms of, of that piece. And anxiety is really one of the misunderstood emotions out there. And people really don't understand what it is or easily dismiss it or kind of say, okay, I just have to get through this or whatever. Um, when I see people, a lot of times people will just want their anxiety to go away. Mm-hmm. And I tell them the good news, bad news in terms of that is um, the bad news is it's not going to go away. Uh, but the good news is you, you don't want it to go away um, because it is something that helps detect threats. Okay. So it's the whole fight or flight is, is what it is. And anxiety is a, is a good thing. It's your brain telling you that it's time for change. Um, mm-hmm. Something to get rid of, so to speak. It is something to listen to from a place of curiosity. And so the, the pathway forward with anxiety is really to be more daring and to confront boldly. Now, that's very difficult. Um, it's at times a treacherous path in terms of that piece. So I, I, I really describe anxiety as the doubting disorder. It, it, it lets you doubt yourself and your abilities, and you end up avoiding. And so when I hear people putting things off and procrastinating or, or avoiding, that's really a telltale sign of, of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Now, depression is more than just being sad. Sometimes that's what we think is I'm just feeling down. Um, But depression is this. It's being stuck in the present that feels like it's unchangeable. And and, and also it feels like it never gets better. The future doesn't get better. And so depression is this valley of feeling drained or despondent or worthless. And depression really leaves a person feeling numb, lethargic. And what happens is people with depression, very severe depression, will end up staying in place for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people mistaken depression as, as laziness, um, but it's not. And so I describe depression as more of this sinking disorder that you're just kind of sinking down. Many times it's slowly. Sometimes for some people it can be quick, but most of the time it's a slow sink. And this idea of just wanting to surrender just wanting to give up mm-hmm. the question inside their head, like why even bother in terms of, of that piece of it as well. So now lastly is, is motivation. And so we tend to think of motivation as this spark or this prerequisite to have to start something. And um, it's not something that you have necessarily, but it's something that you get. And so and you usually get it from achieving small successes very tiny successes. Um, And so the main ingredient for motivation is is success. And seemingly minor successes is the way out or to gain motivation in terms of of this piece of it as well. And motivation can be the the pride that you take in the work that you've done, um, which then 
fuels your willingness mm-hmm. to want to do more. And so, you know, doing nothing can cause a lack of motivation and, you know, keeping in mind doing too much can cause a lack of motivation by, by getting overwhelmed. And so when I look at motivation, especially in relation to depression, it can be a, a protective factor. And motivation really is more of a result. Um, and action drives motivation more than motivation drives action, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting because a lot, a lot of people will assume the opposite, that if I'm in a bad space, I'm going to wait till I'm in a better headspace or heart space mm-hmm. to, to take action because I just don't feel like I have the internal resources to 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 accomplish those small victories, to, to take the right step. But, but what I hear you saying is at least as it relates to the motivation piece is if you, if you wait until you feel like you've, you've got it in you to go out and, and get better, you're going to wait forever. You, you need to take some steps that lead to small victories and that then changes what you're feeling. Am I, am I correct on that? Yeah, absolutely. Matt. That, that's exactly right. That's, it's counterintuitive for a lot of people, especially if you're struggling with mm-hmm. and you're wanting some help, you're wanting motivation to show up. Um, but many times it doesn't, you know, and sometimes we think of like, I need to have a motivational speech. And there is some power to that. It's not to diminish that piece of it. Mm-hmm. But it is the message is taking action. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so my next question, because you mentioned, you know, like I go through seasons where I feel melancholy or drained or, um, you know, I'm coming up on something and, and I don't know what to expect and I just get in my head and I'm over anxious. So what's, what's the difference between, or I guess, how do you know, like the, I've, I've got a chronic, like, like this is marking my life and changing my life versus, um, I'm just experiencing this on a, like, it just comes and it goes, I guess I'm asking, like, how do you know if like your anxiety or depression, um, needs intervention or you need help? Like what's something I, as a person, cause it's, I, sorry, I am thinking so many things. You, everything you've shared is so great. I have people in my life that I'm like this, I, I want to share this message with this person, but I'm wondering how do I, as a person self recognize, what are some things that tell me, oh, I might be struggling with depression, depression. Yeah. The, uh, what I would say is this, Rachel, is the truth is a lot of times you don't recognize it in yourself. Yeah. So it's a lot of times relaying, uh, relying on the other person, people in your life that are giving you feedback. And so the feedback in terms of the comment of what they may say, hey, you look, you look down or you don't feel like yourself. And so the more often you hear that or the, or the pattern definitely becomes, um, you know, something to say, hey, I may need to do something about this as well. I, I will say this is most people tend to wait too long before they get help, either help from a family member. Sure or professional help. Um, and so it's a lot of times when I dismiss it, or I can just fight my way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, over recent years, like I mentioned, I've been doing this for a while. Um, mm-hmm. For recent years, people have been better at getting help a little bit earlier on or mental health as a whole. Um, the stigma has gone away a bit, not in all areas, sure. uh, but it has helped to say, okay, I can get help. And it's not a, a defect of me, or I don't have to look down in a, in a negative way on that level. So hmm. does that answer your question in terms of that? Yeah. It's tricky. It's, it's no easy thing, this step of like, okay, this is what you see in yourself. And it's so individualized. Sure. Well, I, I, I think it's an important question to ask. So I want to, I want to stay here for a minute. I, I think you made a, made an important point, Brian, you said, you know, other people are going to notice 
a change in you or that you are not yourself, so to speak. And so, so I feel like that's one aspect of it, of what are other people noticing in you that, that makes you say, man, I, this might be more than just run of the mill anxiety, depression, or, or low motivation. I might need some outside intervention. Um, is there, is there anything else that, that we could put on the dashboard to gauge where we are with our anxiety or, or depression to know I, I, I really do need an outside voice to come in and give me some processes that I can work, a plan that I can work, um, uh, or just speak some, some truth into my life. I need a professional. How, how, what else can we look at to know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's that awareness piece, like you mentioned, Rachel, in yourself. It's just using that um, feedback from, from others. And I think it's just important to remember, you know, just being a, a compassionate observer and, and listener and paying attention to the people that we love and mm-hmm. not being afraid to be able to reach out and to say something. I think sometimes yeah. we're afraid to say something to offend them or to hurt their feelings. And then what does that do? Well, further isolates them. And, and what is depression? It's, a, it's an isolation piece. They feel mm-hmm. in terms of, of that piece of it as yeah. well. Um, Robert Putnam, Bowling Alone, a book that was put out many, many years ago, uh, yeah. talked about crowded loneliness and mm-hmm. the whole idea that you may have a lot of people in your life and still feel lonely, which again is kind of intuitive, right? It's kind of like, well, I have people in my life. I, I live with a whole bunch of people or I'm surrounded by a whole bunch of people. But there's a lot of lonely people that, that we have that have people in their, in their life as well from, from that standpoint. So, you know, and, and I wanted to say this is that being a compassionate listener is so much more important than being or giving advice. You don't mm-hmm. have to feel like you have to give advice and mm-hmm. don't try to fix them. You know, sometimes it's like, okay, I need to do this and, and fix them. But you want to let them know that they're not alone, you know, so, and that you're here for them. Uh, on that piece of it. And so, you know, getting the the professional help, it many times is difficult. You know, it, it may take multiple attempts um, before you get somebody the help they need or into a treatment program. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's being persistent. It's being for their, for them and, and being aware on, on that level as well. So um, I'll say this though, uh, I want to put this out there because, you know, it is important to get help. And one of the things is there's a new resource um, that's out there on a national level. And so that is the 988 number. And so they just established it, went live in, in many of the states um, across the country. Each state runs it themselves. So you have to check on, on your own state. Um, but 988 is the Suicide Prevention and Mental Health Crisis Lifeline is, is what it is. So it's it's free. It's confidential. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. And so everybody's familiar with 911. And so Mm -hmm. it's the whole medical and public safety. If you're at immediate risk or suicidal in that moment, obviously call that one. Um, But having somebody to talk to, they've always had a hotline, but it was this 1-800 number and and people couldn't remember. And so it's better in terms of 988. And so um, just a resource, I want to make sure our listeners are are aware and to check into. So can I ask you a clarification about that? So let's say I'm somebody who's like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel suicidal. Like we, we, it's hard to self-motivate to be like, I'm going to reach out for help. But if somebody's like, oh, I'm not this extreme. I don't feel this is an emergency, but I need somewhere to start. Could they use that resource as well? Like just to be like, I just, I am struggling. I am in crisis, but I'm not suicidal. And instead of um, like self-eliminating, is that still a resource? 
others. Yeah. Yeah. Good point, Rachel. And so, yeah, it is. It's not just for suicide. Um, there's a great need in, in that area, but it's all yeah. mental health. It's also on the early end of the continuum that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I need somebody to talk to. And so it also will then help get you connected locally as well. And so in some areas, there's there's plenty of resources. Others, it's hard to find. And so it's just another um, person that can sign and say, hey, here's some resources where you live uh, mm-hmm. in your area to follow up as well, because it's never too early, you know, so sure. it's piece of like, if you're feeling a little bit off, um, it's just another, another place you can turn to. Yeah. So I was going to ask, like, um, I was going to say this for later, but you already touched on it. So if I, as a and see somebody else, like be that compassionate listener, like go to them in love and like be that messenger for them. So let's say I'm a person who my loved one came to me and, um, I, I recognize what they're telling me. I'm struggling with depression or anxiety. Um, so what's the next step in their pathway? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's helping them just in terms of looking at where they're at. And so listening to what they're saying, so it is all individualized. Mm -hmm. And so kind of saying, all right, what are they saying? I'm feeling alone. All right. Well, how can we look at ways to then, you know, counter that, that piece of it? I'm feeling down. You know, there's some people that have high functioning uh, anxiety or high functioning depression, and they're going to work and everything looks great and, and normal to the outside person. But it's really asking them, how you doing? You know, no, how are you really doing? You know, sometimes we get caught up in the, in how we greet each other. Yeah, I'm fine. Sure. Uh, okay. And even people that are, are, are struggling and suffering with anxiety and depression, guess what their first answer is? I'm- okay, right, I'm fine. Yeah. So how are you really? And so you may have to ask it two, three times, you know, differently in terms of, of that piece of it as well you knowing that you may then get a, a terse response. You know, you may get an irritable type of response. But remember what I said earlier, that's part of it. That's part of the symptoms in terms of that piece of it as well and, and not take offense to that, but to really, you know, to to reach out in 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 love, right? And so, you know, the simple answer here is how do you, how do you love them? How do you mm-hmm. love them in ways that they're going to feel loved? What is their love language? How are ways that they're going to feel that? And just being persistent from, from that end. Brian, are you seeing more people who are struggling with anxiety, depression, low motivation than, than you used to in, in, in years past? I mean, you, you mentioned at the beginning that you've been doing this for, for 30 years. Um, are you seeing more people that are on that spectrum today uh, dealing with these things than in years past? And if so, why? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm definitely from when I started my career and then when supervising uh, many other clinicians as well. There's definitely been in the past, I don't know, 10, 12 years, um, an increase. And so, and then in the last, you know, two, three years with the pandemic as well, has been an increase on on that. And and the increase is, um, you know, more severe. And and, and one of the things that's really um, spiked is is panic. And, Mm -hmm. And the level of really getting to the point, extreme anxiety, where you'll experience some extreme physical conditions and, and the hard part is you don't know, always know what triggers it, you know, mm-hmm. so that's where people are like, okay, sometimes you can pinpoint it, but many times you can't. And guess what that does? It, it causes more anxiety is what it does yeah. and when it's going to show up or, or not within that, that piece of it. So I think uncertainty is, is a big piece of this. And so 
Um, there's much more uncertainty in the world and in our own personal uh, lives as well in terms of, of that, that side of it. And so not knowing how to handle that piece of like, okay, what's, what's going to happen or just in terms of the hopelessness for, for some people. So having personal struggles, whether it's financial or relationship struggles, all the rest of that really leads to this, this, this spike. Um, you see different numbers out there at, at times, but you know, at least 40 million people have at some level uh, struggle with anxiety. Um, sometimes you'll see numbers even higher than that piece of it as well. And so it's it's definitely um, continuing. It's definitely uh, prevalent and somewhat on the rise in terms, of especially the anxiety piece of this. Hmm. Brian, you've talked in in other settings, and I wanted to to touch on this in, in our conversation. I've heard you mention before um, when it comes to getting on a on a pathway to to better mental health. You've, you've talked about dealing with anxiety and depression in a particular way, and then dealing with. Um, motivation another way. I've, I've heard you mention externalizing one and then internalizing another. Uh, ho- hopefully that rings a bell. Uh, could, you, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, it definitely rings a, a bell. And um, it's really two different pathways. And so for uh, anxiety and depression, you want to externalize it. Um, mm. for, for motivation, you want to internalize it is what you want to do. So an, inten- an intentional and very um, essential skill that I teach when I'm counseling somebody is to let them know that they need to put them outside themselves. And so moving away from I'm a depressed person to a place where depression shows up, moving away from I'm an anxious person to a person who has anxiety that shows up. Now, again, this is very difficult. This is a big shift. For, for us that are, are maybe not anxious or depressed, it's kind of like, all right, I can, I can do that. For people that are really in the midst of that, this is a very difficult skill to do. And so what I try to do is I try to train them to say when anxiety shows up or when depression shows up, um, mm-hmm. to observe it outside themselves, almost ideally as an impartial spectator. And, and sometimes I use the metaphor of, it may be like birds that are that are flying around above you and they may come swooping down or want to make a nest and and that whole idea. But I want them to get away from it's not something inside them in terms of, of that piece of it as well. It's it's the idea of pushing them because you view yourself as a depressed person. It just reinforces the depression. Mm-hmm. And so putting it outside in terms of there are moments and for some people, they're real brief. But for some people, there's some hours and days where they aren't depressed. And sometimes where they can really look at it that way as well. Um, I, I use uh, my favorite candy. And so my favorite candy, um, what came from a camp that I go up to, Camp Arcadia in, in Northern Michigan, and going up all my life. And uh, when I was a little kid, um, I would get gobstoppers. And so I would get these gobstoppers and they're jawbreakers, if you're not familiar with them as well. And so the whole idea is I talk about how they're layered just another way. And some people talk about uh, onions as it relates mm-hmm. to, sugar. and I, I might use that if you're an onion person, um, but candy in terms of that piece of it as well, if you're familiar with a gobstopper, it's the idea that you have a core to it. And inside that core is what? It's a sweet tart. Um, so you have some good, bad, all sorts of different things in there. And how do you peel that back? And so peeling back those layers and really being able to get that person um, to be able to talk about what's going on inside themselves, the, the vulnerability piece of this as well, 
which is hard because you you get you get hardened with with depression. You mm-hmm. you're anxious. You don't want to talk about things that are going on within that piece of it as well. And so I, I use that because it can be relatable just in terms of of that piece of it as well. Now the opposite I talked about with motivation. And so motivation is the whole idea of trying to get them to internalize that. And so the idea of like external motivation. Um, that comes from outside you. It can come from another person, a family member, motivational speaker, a boss, all sorts of different things. And when I think about um, external motivation, it's really the carrots and the sticks. Um, it's the consequences, it's rewards, and things that we get as well, which can be motivating. But much better is the whole idea of intrinsic, uh, internal motivation in terms mm-hmm. of that piece. I've learned over years that really there's three things that, that motivate people. Um, the first one is if it feels good, it's motivating. The, the second one is if it avoids pain. And then the third one is if there's a perceived benefit. And so those three things, things can fall into those three things, I should say. And so it's that whole idea of like, all right, internal motivation. That's what motivates people. Feels good, avoids pain, or there's some mm-hmm. benefit. And internal motivation are things like pride or achievement, or mastery, or autonomy, or belonging, and, and things like that as well um, along those lines. So um, yeah, that, that, that's what I would say back, Matt. Well, that, that's really great. That, that's really helpful, especially uh, what, what resonates with me is the notion of externalizing anxiety and depression, because you know, in, in my own life, if I, as I've had seasons where I've felt these things or, or, or really been on that spectrum, it is so easy to get to a place where you say, I am my anxious feelings, or I mm-hmm. am my, my, my depression. This is who I am. But to your point, that only doubles down the hopelessness because it's not just a situation I find myself in or a season I find myself in. I am this terrible thing and I, I'll never be able to shake it. And so I think it's really important what you said is, is that the, the need to, to get that, make anxiety something that happens to you or depression something that you deal with versus part of the essence of who you are. That way it becomes something you can actually try and, and manage and get help for versus, versus something that's core to your identity because that 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 to me just seems to to increase the hopelessness right Brian yeah yeah absolutely it's it's that piece of just empowering them and so it's an important shift is what this is and it's it takes some time for for many people to be able to do that because it's it's hard because you 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 feel it I, I like I, I am a depressed person but it's kind of getting them to shift off of that and look mm-hmm. at it differently and so it is it's an important piece of what I do and how I how I do counseling yeah. Yeah. I, I just think it's really helpful. I'm just thinking of like even you know, in, in pastoral care situations of helping someone to see when it comes to anxiety and depression, I am not these, these difficult things that I'm dealing with. I have them, but I am not them. And then when it comes to the motivation piece, I am, and I do possess these good things that other people are speaking to me. Right. That that's, that that's key. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. So I want to make sure like I'm tracking it. So I'm boiling this down in my head a little bit. Yeah. If we have a listener, let's say, who's like, okay, I hear you. I I want to deal with this anxiety or this depression better. I've picked up on three things that I think you're saying. So let's say a person says, hey, I'm not quite ready to like call a therapist or a professional, but I can find somebody I trust and like share with them. And, and so finding somebody you can be vulnerable and trusting with, um, and then externalizing, like not making it, it's, it's something you deal with, not 
not like your eye color, but more like the clothes you wear. Like it's something that's a part of your life. And then um, looking for small wins, like things that can motivate you and start looking for those like accomplishments uh, in the midst of those things. Am I, am I tracking correctly? Am I like, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, when I talk about that gobstop or that jawbreaker, uh-huh. you know, sharing with somebody else what's going on, what does that do? It's peeling back the layers mm-hmm. and have a lot of layers to ourselves. And so it's that piece of just being able to do so. And sometimes it's not like real deep and that's okay. The starting point, okay. sharing like what's going on. And so, and sometimes we dismiss that as like, okay, we're really not getting to the deep stuff or the, or the, or the good stuff or whatever. Yeah. But that takes time. And so what happens is with depression and anxiety, you you learn to distrust yourself and others. And and it's trying to build up being able to trust yourself and and others within that piece of it. And, you know, it's it's that piece of like, okay, I can share. Um, And so and it's us being able to say, I can I can sit there and listen because sometimes it's hard. It's hard to listen to stuff is that's pretty heavy Mm -hmm. at, at times. But it's starting out at just, you know, the level with where they're at, meeting them with where they're at. If it's your friend or, or, or family member within that piece of it as well, it's, it's that side of it. So, yeah, I agree with you, Rachel. One of the things I've recognized in myself when, when I've found myself kind of on that, on that spectrum of anxiety, depression, low motivation, and, then, and I feel like I've witnessed it in others too, is that my thinking tends to get really black and white. Like when I'm in a funk the, the, the whole world seems to turn really black and white. Either people are for me or they're against me. Um, I'm either doing great or I'm doing terrible. Uh, the, the world gets really, really, really black and white. There's no room for like uncertainty um, or, or gray areas. Um, Brian, have you found that to be to be a hallmark of anxiety and depression or is that just a Matt Popovitz thing? <laughs> You know, it's beyond you, Matt. And so it, it definitely is. And so what, what I find is people that have anxiety really want things to be black and white, you know, mm. because it's clear. And then I kind of can figure out where I, where I stand. Yeah. It's yeah. difficult because guess what type of world that we live in? Gray is <laughs> it's what we live in for most times. Sometimes some things are, are, are black and white, but a lot of times they're very gray just in terms of, of that piece of it as well. And so what, what I say is there's this intolerance for uncertainty for people with anxiety. Uh, for people that are depressed, it's uh, the intolerance for ambiguity of things mm-hmm. just not being clear. And so, you know, it's, it's that idea of we filter things through our own lenses. And what happens is they tend to see things more negatively. And so somebody who's either anxious or depressed, and this applies to both, is that you may say um, a negative comment, and they're going to take that very hard. Uh, if you're if you give them some feedback or somewhat critical of what they've done, they're going to take that very deeply and very hard. Because what happens is they filter it in a more negative way. If you were to say some very neutral statement, guess what? An anxious person hears. They hear it as negative. Is is what they hear. And if you say something very positive guess what they hear it as? They hear it as neutral is what they hear because their anxiety or depression that really filters it and they can't hear it. They'll dismiss it. Or they're like, oh, you just say that because, you know, you're my family member or you're you're my friend. You're just saying that type of thing as well. And even if a stranger were to say that to them, what they do is internally is they're kind of taking it down one notch. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Does that make sense? I don't know if I explained that well. Yeah. Is Brian, is that maybe a hallmark of like the, uh, or a sign that you might be dealing with something a little more clinical than, than, than merely chronic in terms of anxiety and depression, like nothing good breaks through. It's not just like a, a gray haze that sits over you, but like nothing good breaks through like people that you love, they come up to you and they tell you that they love you and they appreciate you. And it doesn't break through. Like it doesn't stir the heart, like nothing good breaks through. Is that, is that maybe a sign that what you're dealing with is more than, more than just, um, an average level of, of depression or anxiety or low motivation. It, it might be something more serious. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely is just in terms of, of that piece of it. And so what you have to remember is like, you're just looking to, to help that person is, is what you're doing. So you're just trying to be available in terms of, of, of that piece of it as well. And so getting them to just, just to be there for them. Is, is, is the key piece of this. It's just being able to, to love them and to be with them and to, to sit in that uncomfortable area is what it is. And so it's, it's learning how to sit with an uncomfortable emotion. And so we want to run away from anxiety is what we want to do. We want to avoid it. And that works in the short term, but it doesn't work in the long term. It, it, it doesn't because then it just catches up to you or you eventually have to kind of face that piece of it as well. And so it's really trying to face it head on and you, you have to, to go with somebody else just in terms of that piece, mm. because that depressed or anxious person is going to push away in, in terms of that piece of it. And it is a hallmark in terms of the more that you see this and, and the uncertainty piece of that as well, mm. definitely is one of those of saying, okay, have some clinical, you know, depression or clinical anxiety here. And, you know, as, as you see somebody who you love, you may not know all the, the signs and you may pick up on some of these, but trust your gut. Uh, mm. A lot of times your gut is right, just in terms of that, yeah. like they really feel like they're hurting inside and, and what's going on. And you're not sure because they're not opening up. Um, it's just finding ways to be persistent and, and not just um, saying, hey, I tried, but continue to. But it, it, it's draining. It's, it's draining for everyone involved. Sure. Um, so you talked about how it, it does seem like these things are more like in the air, the, some of the stigma has gone from it, but it's still really hard to like get professional help. Um, I want to hear you talk a little bit about the benefits of getting professional, professional help, not just because you do it, but you're in this world. So like to that person who's like, I don't know, is it really worth it? Or is that being dramatic? Like what are the benefits of having like getting professional help? Yeah, you're going to get some of the things that you're getting on today's podcast, right? So it's be able to look at things a little bit differently in, in that mm -hmm. be able to kind of learn things that about yourself um, and kind of a, a reflection, right? A mirror in terms of that piece, a professional can provide that side and in a different way. And sometimes family members are so in the middle of it, um, does make it difficult for them sure. feedback from, from somebody else as well um, on, on, on that side. So it is. It's really trying to get them to take action is, is, is what it is. Um, because depressed and anxious people, they view time differently. Um, and so it's that whole idea of what should I be in the moment? And, and it's different for anxiety than it is for depression. And so mm -hmm. let me explain this. Um, you know, with anxiety, I teach mindfulness. I teach getting grounded in the moment. I talk about being present. Um, all very helpful because what happens with anxiety, you at times may be ruminating about the, the past, 
or you may be fearing the future and focusing on the future of anticipating things that are coming and possibly thinking of things that are going to be worse than they really are in terms of that piece of it. Um, but with depression, a lot of times people list this is the opposite. Um, and so with depression, it's about resisting the present moment is, is what it is. And so what happens, you see depression, it flattens emotions is, is what it does. Mm-hmm. Emotions are very flat. And people that have depression that show up, um, you know, they, they view things, the present and, and the future, they view it as negative. They view it as unchangeable. And so they render the present as meaningless and, and pointless. And guess what? They think the future is going to be more of the same of what they're experiencing right now in, in that moment. And so people with depression have really lost the ability um, to think things will get better with the passage of time. And guess what? Time drags on for them. It's just it's much longer in terms of that piece of it as well. And so at their core, they truly feel like things will never get better. Yeah. Brian, tell me about some some small actions that, that people can take if they, they find themselves wrestling with um, with some of what we talked about, or they just want to you know make sure that that they are proactive about their their own, their own mental health. What what are some what are some helpful actions people can take? Yeah, and and that's the key thing. If there's one thing you can remember, it's it's taking action. So from today's uh, our here today is the idea of just seemingly small minor steps, no matter what they are, that's the key piece, especially as it relates to to depression. And so it's just the idea of building hopefulness, you know, being able to gain the belief that effort will pay off, and that's through action. So whether it's anxiety or motivation, it's taking action. Now, the deeper the depression, the more the anxiety has a grip on that person, the harder this will be. Um, but it's it's that idea of like, all right, how do I then do just something, something very seemingly small, just in terms of, of, of that piece of it as well, because you can't get it out. You can't get out of depression quickly. That's just not possible. In fact, um, I, I, I have a Lessons from escaping quicksand that I want to share with you as well. And so um, I'm an outdoors person. And so at one point in, in my life, I got stuck in quicksand. Um, Rachel and Matt, I don't know if you've ever been in quicksand before. No. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you how to escape uh, quicksand. And so it's not like the movie where you're, you know, I was up to my, you know, my, my chin in, in quicksand. But I was uh, out in the Seattle area with, uh, with my uh, wife's family. And we were clamming um, out by the coastal. And so if you know where quicksand is, it's typically by riverbanks or by, by coast or marshes. And so, you know, when I got stuck into just a mid, mid-thigh in terms of that piece of it as well, I truly couldn't get out. Um, and so you can't pull a person out. That's the lesson. You cannot pull somebody out of, of quicksand just in terms of that piece. Now, it's also nearly impossible to, grow, to, to, uh, to drown. Um, sometimes the movies say, okay, I'm going to kind of go under. But it's the idea of this. You have to wiggle your way out. Um, And and wiggling is twisting and turning. And so it's similar to depression is you just can't pull somebody out of it. It's small wiggles. It's twisting and turning is what it is. And so it's looking for that uh, pocket of water to get down by your feet. And then for you to be able to do that. Lean back in terms of the quicksand too as well. So you want to get more horizontal in terms of that piece. And then you're just sliding yourself out. But it's a slow process is what it is. There's no no quick 
fix. I had to stop fighting to get out of the quicksand is what I had to do. And I had to make very small movements. You know, I had to wiggle just in terms of, of that piece. It's the same thing for low motivation. You have to wiggle your way out of that, that side of it. So here's some, some ideas just in terms of like actions. What can this look like? And let's dialogue about this as well. The first thing that I would say is start talking kinder to yourself. And so people that are anxious or depressed are very critical of themselves. Hmm. The language that they may say loud or talk to themselves or just the thoughts that they have running inside. And so learning to treat yourself kindly. And so self, you know, self-compassion is much more motivating than being hard on yourself. Sometimes we have that in society wrong, you know, just kind of have to yell at them longer and harder and mm-hmm. the rest of it. But, you know, it's that idea of how do I talk to myself instead of saying, oh, you idiot, or, or you should have known, or you're not good enough. Those are all things that people that have anxiety and depression that show up have that inner dialogue. And words really matter. And so it's learning that piece of just knowing like, okay, how do I talk to that person in a kind, loving way? And how do they learn to talk to themselves? So I teach people to do that. And again, it's very difficult. It's a big shift because typically they've been doing this for years and years and years. And being self-critical can motivate some people and push them to achieve. But for others, it just keeps them stuck in terms of of that piece of it. So uh, a a good small action, what I would say is is learning how to talk kindly to yourself. Um, Secondly, what I would say is make a list. And um, here's another one that people struggle um, is the idea of asking them to make a list. And they'll really push back on this. Uh, Sometimes, depending on the person, I'll say, just make a list of 10 things. If I really want to push them or think they're capable of doing this, hey, let's make a list of 100 things that give you pleasure. Just small little things that may put a smile on your face or to get you to look at things different. The pushback I get is nothing makes me happy. And in that moment, that is true. But I also then talk about what are things maybe that usually in the past that did, you know, and so what are some things in the past? And so you have to be compassionate about it and you have to just, you know, you don't want to target high intensity pleasure events. You know, what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about is small, ordinary things. For example, is there a flower that you enjoy? Okay, let's go. Let's go find that. Pick that flower. Go get a a flower just in terms of things that you like to do gardening or, or things along those lines. You know, do you like the warmth of the sunshine? Do you like taking, going for a walk? 20 minutes of sunshine will do a lot of good for a person. Um, you know, what's your, what's your favorite song? I'll ask that one as well. And so, um, you know, listening to music can have a powerful effect. You know, for me, when I'm feeling anxious or, or feeling down, um, it's the 80s music. I grew up in the 80s in terms of that piece. It brings me back to that nostalgic yeah. piece. And so for many people, it may not be the 80s, but like, what is it your song? Um, here, here's a bonus tip I'll, I'll throw in right now as well, is that if you Google, what is the most relaxing song? And it's been like this for years. And, and, I, and I made sure this week that it's still on there. So the top song that's going to come up is called the song called Weightless by Marconi Union. And so it has what's called binary beats and it um, is very relaxing. So it's scientifically proven. I'll have everybody Google that and kind of learn a little bit more about that. They they, they made a song that it was like, you know, what are four or five minutes? And then all of a sudden they made a part two and a part three and a part. <laughs> There's a 10 hour version too, that you could put on and may need to help to fall asleep or things like that as well. That's my bonus uh, tip in terms of uh, the weightless song in terms of most relaxing, but 
you know, like favorite color is, is another one just to think about it in terms of that piece. Mm -hmm. So what's your, what's your favorite color? Because favorite colors, you won't notice it, but it can lift you just a little bit. Mine's mm. So anytime that I see the right shade of purple, um, it, it can put me in, in a little bit of a better mood just in terms of that piece. Matt, what's your, what's your favorite color? My favorite color is blue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it puts, shade it, it, of blue? What shade? It's um, it's it's light blue. It's light blue, not dark blue. Light blue. I I feel like I look best in light blue, <laughs> <laughs> and I also think it looks really good. So when I see light blue, or it's the day that I get to wear my light blue shirt, I feel better. It's it makes me, it makes me feel better. Yeah, Rachel. What about you? What's your favorite color? It's green. I love the color green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great, yeah. great colors. But like just as we're talking, it's just a little bit. If we could just put a little smile mm-hmm. on your face, or just you know that moment in terms of that piece. So. What are true. you may come up with? Like when I talk about little ordinary things, what are things that that give you just a small sense of joy or just a little bit of happiness? Rachel, is there is there something that that for you personally that you could put on this list? Oh, I'd say like um, when I have a minute and it's just like quiet and it's just like, you know, my kids are playing happy and there's no sound in the house. It just kind of like gives me a jolt of like deep breath like this feels mm-hmm. good. So that's the first thing I thought of. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, pasta. That's the other thing. It just <laughs> makes me happy and I'm glad it's in the Carbs. world. Yeah. Right. yeah. You can't go wrong with that. Good, good comfort food in terms of that. Piece. Yeah. Matt, what, what about you, Matt? Anything that comes to mind when I talk about things you that are th- pleasurable? What immediately came to mind for me was the first sip of coffee in the morning. Ah. It That is my, that is, that is like near the top of my list of favorite things in life. The first sip of coffee in the morning. Yeah. 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 So this list you put it down and it gives you something to kind of say, okay, what are these things? But it's what my point is, they're very small things, very mm-hmm. tiny things. And you can come up with a, a hundred, but it takes time. It's a process. It's not a one done sit down and, but you just add to that. And then guess what? You, you try to do one little thing, you know, yeah. from your list or something that day. It's just that idea of like, you know, how do I make sure I don't fall further out from my routine? Cause mm-hmm. what can you do low motivation? You get out of that routine over time, further and further away from that as well. And so just something small, sometimes you, um, curiosity and novelty sometimes works well. Um, Mm. people in terms of trying to use that, of just trying to learn something, curiosity or novelty, something new that you haven't done before as well. It just, um, it, uh, it gets the brain wired in different ways upstairs as well. And so it's just another good tip on, on that piece. And people that really struggle with this, what I'll tell them is, you know, I talk, I talk about the two minute and the 10 minute rule. And the two minute is, I just need you to do something for two minutes. And that's all just two minutes in terms of that piece. It's like, okay, go outside for, for a walk, just, just for two minutes. Cause you're like, mm-hmm. I can't even do that over time, like to add to that piece of it, but whatever the activity is, just, just do it for two minutes or whatever they can handle in terms of that piece. And then the 10 minute piece of this as well is I always give them permission after 10 minutes, if they build up to this, after 10 minutes, you can, you can stop. You don't have to go on and do that piece. But what I find is most cases in a high percentage of the time, what they do, they, they go on is what they do beyond mm-hmm. the minute piece, but it gives them an out in terms of that yeah. to it as well. So with anxiety kind of gives it an exit strategy that if you need to, that you can do that piece of it as well. And so it's that side of it. You know, in general, it's, it's pointing to positivity. You know, it's that mm-hmm. piece, like when mm-hmm. people are depressed, they lose the ability to see variability in things that are variable in their day. Like, like I mentioned about how things get flattened out emotions and, and things just in terms of how they view things. 
it's important to let them know, even when you have depression, come visit you, you'll have these little lifts, you know, throughout the day, every day. But guess what? They don't notice them. Um, and so they've become blind to those pieces as well. And so helping them to see that and to feel that and to, to be grateful to that piece of it. And so it's, it's that, that side of it of stop comparing ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. so comparisons is a tough piece, but just looking at your life and the positivity that you have in terms of, of, of that piece of it as well. And so I just think it's empowering just to kind of know that that piece of it as well. So, Yeah. Well, I, I kind of think of it as you know these 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 small steps, these these small wins, these these seemingly small actions. It, it kind of strikes me as like you know medicine for the the heart and mind. You know, it's you know, and you have to kind of retrain your your brain and emotions to feel some of these things. And and you know you 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 know you might get prescribed by a friend to go you know take that two minute walk, have another sip of coffee, experience the things that typically bring you joy, and see if it can't help reengage some of those some of those senses. Right? Yeah, it is, and it's over time. There's no yeah. quick escape from mm-hmm. motivation. There's no quick escape like this. You know quicksand that I was talking about before. Yeah. You can't just quickly escape it. It's, it's really over time. And so all those little things together, you, you, you string them together, it helps kind of in a, in a spiral kind of lift you out very slow turn. Yeah. Is that piece? Um, you know, it's sometimes it's this habit stacking where you have some mm-hmm. that you do, and then you add to that, that follows up after that piece of it as well. And so to be able to build upon that. So if you're able to have that morning coffee, what do you stick to that piece of it as well and on that side of it. So absolutely. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much. Like um as we I just think this is really this has been so great. Thank you. Uh as we finish up, do you have any like last word or something that you would want to give our listeners as a takeaway to kind of just to kind of round us out today? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Rachel. Um, I would say this. You can do and be much more than you think mm. and with the help of God. And so I think of Philippians 4.13, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's, it's a process. And so what I want our listeners to, to take away today is just take seemingly small actions. Mm. And, and actions create motivation and, and motivation creates momentum. And so stop searching for motivation. And start muddling your way until you achieve something that then pulls you out of it. And so I guess what I want everybody to do is, you know, starting is the hardest part, but just start wiggling. Mm. Uh, Build some hopelessness and believe that effort can pay off. Hmm. Brian, thanks so much for being with us, man. Okay, Rachel. So what sticks out to me from this conversation with Brian McKenna is quicksand. Um, yeah. Was that I, not I thought, right? Yeah, it was. It was a really good illustration. Um, and what I appreciated about it is the the notion that when someone's stuck in quicksand, you can't pull them out. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to work their their way out. They're going to have to work themselves out by making small, uh, seemingly small adjustments and movements, and they can kind of wiggle themselves free over time. And and that's a really clear picture of what's what's needed when someone is is stuck in anxiety, depression, or low motivation. You, you, mm-hmm. If you see someone in your life that you care about, you can't personally just pull them all the way out of it. But what you can do is encourage them to take small steps, get small victories that over the course of time can 
can help them wiggle out of this thing that they that they are stuck in. I thought that was a really great analogy. What stood out to you? Well, so with the quicksand too, I think it's important to recognize that like those little wiggles, that's a funny thing to say, those little wiggles are impactful. Like, mm-hmm. like it feels like oh, I've got to throw the baby out with the bathwater and I've got to change my life to, to deal with anxiety and depression. But it's like those little victories, that's what he's talking about with motivation, right? Those small wins, it is impactful and it does matter. And I think yeah. that's a really important thing to hold on to. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I also really liked how he said that when it comes to dealing with our own anxiety and depression, that we need to externalize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning that that we have to disconnect it from kind of our sense of of being and our identity. Like I I am not my anxiety. I am not my depression. Even though that's kind of the lie that anxiety and depression tell yeah. you. Like you are this thing that you're feeling. You got to kind of disconnect that from yourself and say, no, I am a person who is dealing with mm-hmm. anxiety or dealing with depression. And that might seem like a minor shift, but it is not. It's not. And so if you can externalize some of those thoughts and feelings, that's really helpful. But then you have to internalize the motivation. You have to take ownership of the positive things that people say when you're when you're struggling, when they say, you know, you do have the capacity to get these small victories. You do have the ability to wiggle yourself free. Um, you, you are a person who is loved and cherished and accepted. You have to internalize that yeah. motivation. I, I found that really clarifying, very, very helpful. Oh, totally. And it's interesting to think of anxiety and depression in of motivation because it's almost like anxiety is your over motivated, overstimulated. You've got an over like like importance on call to action, and then with depression, you have no motivation. Like if you were just flat, he talked a lot about like just the um, the low mood, the flat emotions, and so that motivation is. So it's interesting to think of these things in terms of motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Rachel, what would you say is your Make it simple soundbite. What's your what's your bottom line takeaway from our conversation with Brian? Yeah, so it was really hard for me not to talk about this front half of our conversation because him, like I just wanted to save it for my make it simple. So the the power of being curious curious and the power of listening. Um, as if if you're talking to a person who has someone in their life who's dealing with anxiety or depression, or if you yourself are walking through this. Like the power of having somebody you trust that you can be vulnerable with that will just listen without trying to fix it is so impactful. And I think sometimes we it's easy to forget how much value is in having somebody who just listens to you, just a place mm-hmm. to like say those things without being judged. And so being a compassionate listener and just how important that is with the people in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my make it simple soundbite is the importance of being kind to yourself. If you are the one who is stuck deep on the spectrum of anxiety, depression, or or even just low motivation, the the importance of of monitoring your self-talk, the internal dialogue about yourself, and and doing Mm -hmm. whatever you can to inject and infuse some 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 Mm -hmm. kindness. Um, You know, you know, uh, uh, you know, as as a pastor, I can't help but think of the you know Jesus's call to love your enemy, And, and but sometimes when you look in the mirror. That's your enemy. And when you're anxious, when you're depressed, the the enemy is the person you see in the mirror. It's yourself. And so part of being faithful to Jesus' call to love your enemy when you're stuck on the spectrum is to first 
show some love and kindness and compassion to yourself. It begins mm-hmm. there and to believe, you know what, I can take some small steps. You know what, I can open up to someone nearby. I can believe yeah. that when I when someone says I'm loved, that I am loved. I am not the anxiety or the depression that I feel. I simply have it and I and I deal yeah. with it. Show yourself some compassion, love your enemy, even and especially if that enemy is yourself because you're stuck on you're you're stuck in this in this cycle of anxiety or depression. Yeah. Well, we want, we want to hear from you. We want to know what your takeaway is. What did you think about our conversation with Brian McKenna? Uh, what, what thoughts do you have? What stuck out to you? Uh, the best way to do that is to head over to our Instagram at, at M-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S, at M-Popovitz, and you'll find a post about today's episode. And let us know what you think. What was your takeaway, your soundbite from our conversation about dealing with anxiety and depression with Brian McKenna? Rachel, thanks for having this important conversation with me. I, I, I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to our next one. Me too. Let's do it. Thanks for helping us make it simple. The show is produced by MPM. Our editor is Marsha Lambeth. Artwork for the show was designed by Brenton Little. Do you have a topic you'd like us to tackle or an expert you'd like us to chat with? Send your ideas to info at mattpopovitz.com. That's info at M-A-T-T-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S dot com. And if you'd like more information about Make It Simple or MPM, just head to mattpopovitz.com.